Yo Pots. Check out Meet Mitch and Leawood for award-winning barbecue, outstanding atmosphere, and your destination to watch all your favorite March Madness action. Tailgating for opening day? Place your order online and pick up on way to the game. Meet Mitch Barbecue, East 95th and Mission in Ranch Martin North Shopping Center. Welcome back to the program, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes with you as we welcome Daniel Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football with Arms, Juan Pont. Harms, how you doing? <laughs> oh, I, I could tell. As soon as the song started playing, one of two things was going to happen. Either it was going to be a play on words with my last name, or we were going to talk about Creed Humphrey uh, to start the show off. So honestly, it's a fantastic way outside of my daughter, you know, who's, who's currently sick right now. Oh, well, I hope she feels better. Tell her I said uh, I hope she feels better, okay? I will tell her as soon as we're off the phone. She's Perfect. watching Frozen 2 right now. And we actually are going to talk about Creed and this offensive line. There we go. Um, in regards to the offensive line, you are a great analyst of breaking down the O-line. One of my favorites. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, by the way, at InHarmsWay19. But I want to talk about the tackles more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Juwan Taylor and Donovan Smith. What have you seen from them in the preseason? What's your comfort level with them Thursday against Detroit? And do you think Donovan Smith is back to what he once was, not last year, but the year prior? Mm-hmm. So I think we can, at least from what we saw in the preseason, they look comfortable enough in the offense when Mahomes is running it, when someone else isn't. You could see some of the, the timing issues that arose specifically on Juwan Taylor's side, who really likes to time that snap just perfectly so we can get an extra like 0.2 seconds in front of his his, uh, his defensive end. He's timed that with Mahomes really, really well. But they look comfortable. They look athletic. They're not having a ton of issues operating in the offense, but you have seen both instances where overwhelming power, going back to the Cleveland Brown defense playing against them, can overwhelm both of them at times in terms of being able to push them into the pocket and kind of collapse that a little bit around Patrick Mahomes. Now we know that Patrick is fantastic at, at extending plays and making offenses, offensive lines look better than they are, especially when you have pressure coming in from one side or the other. But against the Detroit Lions, I think that you're going to see them attempt to use Aiden Hutchinson in a much better you know, way early in the season because he is coming off a great year, really great end of the season for him, getting it all figured out. And they're going to probably have him lined up I mean, I would imagine he's going to line up more against Juwan Taylor. Some of the power can really help him a little bit. If there's one area to Taylor's game, it's that he's, he's not always the best at redistributing that power, absorbing it, and being able to reestablish leverage. So you might see that a little bit, a little bit more, maybe speed around the other, uh, the other end with Houston um, over there. But I think right now they're going to be coming out with a different game plan, maybe moving the pocket a little bit for Mahomes, doing some – play actions where you have everyone in like a zone scheme going off to the right and they do a bootleg off of it to move the pocket a little bit and, and things like that to get them more comfortable into the game. And I think at the end of the day, what we can expect week one is to get them most comfortable. This is a brand new offense for them in terms of, you know, a new quarterback. It's a new team for both tackles. And I think Donovan Smith had moments of looking closer to his old self in the preseason. And then, you know, I think that the Browns really showed, I, I go back to that because they were physical, they were dominant coming and really just kind of collapsing the pocket from the tackles in. And, and that hopefully 
that we see, you know, both Taylor and Smith get a little bit better in that regard. But at the end of the day, I think that they're going to be just fine in this game. The, the Lions defense is still in development. It's going to be a new year for them. Last year, they were one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Even with Aiden Hutchinson having a really good end of the season, they were just – they had – Lots of places you could expose them. They readdressed their linebacker room with you know, drafting um, the kid out of Iowa whose name escapes me in the, in the first round and adding some pieces to their secondary with Brian Branch from Alabama and a couple of the pieces of the offseason. So um, I'm excited to watch how the offensive line performs specifically and more importantly in the run game. Uh, that's what I'm really, really, really looking forward to this game. So in regards to Donovan Smith, I I think that last year was the outlier. You look at what he did from his ro- from his rookie year up until not last year, but the year prior. If you look at PFF, again, I'm not saying PFF, PFF is the end-all, be-all, but I think they do a great job of offensive line and defensive line specifically. And he grew year after year. He got better year after year. And then all of a sudden he had this massive drop-off. To me, that's correlated with his injury and his injuries across the Tampa Bay Buccaneer offensive line. I don't blame that on him. But one thing that I do think um, holds true, well, yes, he was better in every single year prior, the penalties have always been a part of his game. Are you mm-hmm. nervous at all that we will see him get a little handsy in regards to Patrick Mahomes extending plays? Because he had a lot last year, and a lot of that comes with a Tom Brady-led offense where he gets the ball out extremely quick. Mahomes likes to hold onto that ball. Do you ever get nervous that Donovan Smith might have a, uh, a few more penalties that could become drive killers? It's definitely possible, especially with a guy who does get more grabbing it in general. But I think that's kind of been understood with this offense with Patrick Mahomes. He's the, and as a general rule, uh, an offensive line is never really going to know where the quarterback goes. It's, it's a really I would imagine it's going to be drilled into all these guys, and it really has been throughout Patrick Mahomes' career with the offensive line. Is that anything can happen? Plays can can, can get extended. Patrick can step up in the pocket and out, and that's where you really see the most penalties come in, whether he's going out and around and then a tackle is holding on to, you know, the inside underneath the shoulder pad of a defensive end. He tries to disengage to go chase, and he doesn't. The same thing happens in the interior when you see a quarterback step up and then move out and you have, like, a defensive tackle try to disengage off of a guard and you get a little bit there. So it's just about how he's going to be able to hide Hide it, how fast the ball's coming out. I think last year was another example, at least to show that Donovan Smith might be okay in terms. They got the ball out quickly last year, and a lot of first reads and a lot of just simple plays because defenses don't want them to throw the ball downfield. That's where you see the extended plays usually come in. And Patrick's really been really good at deciphering defenses pre-snap and getting the ball out. But that's always going to be a risk with a quarterback that does like to extend plays and can step up. And honestly, he's gotten better at pocket movement throughout his career. So he's always going to try to, to get up and get out and make something happen. So I think just hoping that they've really drilled in, just into Donovan Smith that this is not Tom Brady. <laughs> he's not going to stand in the pocket and then throw the football all the time. Like There's going to be some times where your hands are just going to have to naturally – disengage and re- reestablish. So right hand to left hand, continuously finding different ways to absorb some power and redistribute, lo- relocating hands and things like that. So, I mean, it's always a risk, but I'm excited to see how 
they've adapted him to this offensive line and to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Mahomes is just such a unicorn. I, I think it was Trey Smith yeah. who basically said it was, you're so used to it as an offensive lineman, you, you count to three and then you disengage and find someone else. Like, and he goes, yeah. when I got to Kansas City, it's one, two, three, you keep going, you keep going. Oh, yeah, and then you keep going. He goes, it's a huge change. But, again, you look at the talent of this offensive line, and in my opinion, it is undeniable. As far as the backups go, they kept Niang, Allegretti, Mike Caliendo, Prince Teguanogo, and Wanye Morris. They went tackle heavy, no canard. Did you have any major takeaways as far as who they kept on the O-line? Because I thought keeping uh, Winogo and Niang was a little bit of a surprise. It's interesting to me because I think that they might feel that maybe Lucas Niang can play a little bit of inside because you don't keep that many tackles unless, or unless you are not as comfortable with your backups as you, you think you are. You know, you don't really, you don't really know. Maybe they're not entirely sold on their starters either. That, I don't know. I, I think that Donovan Smith and, and Juwan Taylor are going to be good, but you know, Smith's coming off a year where he had multiple injuries, not just one, and you don't really know how it's going to be handled. And it looked like throughout the preseason they were trying to figure out who was going to be best at left, who was going to play right. If they want to have someone who's a swing that they can just kind of plug in when a tackle goes down. And I felt that Wanya Morris played the best at right tackle and Prince Tegelinogo played best at left tackle. And while I think, you know, Prince is going to be the guy that's the next man off the bench, maybe he's not necessarily always suited and best option at right tackle. And then there's a learning curve with rookies. And if Wanya is your best guy as a backup, maybe you want him in there. Maybe you want Lucas. I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic. And the only thing that for me that I can uh, that I can make sense of is that maybe they believe that Lucas Niang at his size and uh, athletic ability can play a little bit of, t- of guard as well. We're gonna uh, kind of see how that works. But he didn't play any of it in preseason. But when you keep that many tackles, there's there's just something at least to my mind that senses that they might want to use some of them on the interior, especially when you keep Caliendo and you have Allegretti, but Allegretti's coming off of an injury too. So there's a really thin group inside, and possibly Niang is going to be that guy that might swing in a little bit there. Daniel Horms, film analyst, RGR Football, joining us right here, uh, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Is it finally time, Daniel? Finally time that our rookie prediction of Leo Chanel pays off with the suspension of Charles with Chris Jones more than likely not going to be there on Thursday. Do we see Leo get after the quarterback? At this point, you have to, right? I feel like you have to get him in there a little bit. You don't really know if, if you know Felix is going to play a ton as a pass rusher. I mean, I would hope he does. This is experience that he's going to need for later in the season. That's something that the Chiefs do a lot with these rookies. They get them exposed early so that they can grow and be pivotal pieces down in when it goes to pushing for the playoffs. And that's what happened last year with a lot of the, the secondary members. What if it's going to be this year? And, and honestly, I think that Mike Dana is going to play a little bit more three-tech than defensive end. Starting out, maybe he starts off as your run-defending guy, but on those pass-foot situations, you might kick inside. And that allows you to get a little creative with what you're doing, whether it's FAU, whether it's you know Herring, whether it's uh, Leo Chanel. I want to see him as a pass rusher. I don't really care. But I think this game, we're going to see him rush the passer a few times. And that, that gets me really excited because – Again, he's a Sam linebacker that they've been experimenting now with this, this preseason and this uh, training camp with getting him more accustomed to rushing the passer. If you go back to his Wisconsin tape, what's one thing as a stand-up linebacker he was exceptional at doing? Really, just going downhill, whether it was against the run, whether it was rushing the quarterback, he's got a lot of different tools. And there were a lot of plays 
where he showed some some actual pass rush acumen, hand usage, bend, a little bit of cornering ability that I loved when he came out. So, honestly, if they don't do it now, it's never going to happen because you're not going to have Charles Aminahieu missing games and Chris Jones missing games after after week six. So, at this point, if they're not going to do it, he, it's pretty much a done deal. He's going to be a stand linebacker the rest of his career in Kansas City. And we need to see it just to make us feel better since you and I both. <laughs> we were both on the same page. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see Leo do that occasionally, and we have yet to see it. So at least for our uh, – to make us feel better, please, Chiefs, at least occasionally line Leo up there. Peace uh, mind. As far as the pressure on Spagnolo, this is going to be difficult for him, missing Chris Jones – Charles Aminahu, uh, Legereus Sneed should be there, but how many snaps is he going to play? This is a very, very difficult matchup for Spags. How much pressure is he going to have to generate? Because that front four, I don't think, is inspiring a lot of fear in opposing offensive lines. You know, what do you think we should expect from a Steve Spagnola defense, especially early on? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of funky looking defensive lines just in terms of trying to figure something out this is a, a situation that they're not really going to be in uh, for most you know the back half of the season and they haven't been in even to this point because they had Charles Aminikou in the preseason so they were using him on the interior as well so you're going to probably see multiple different defensive ends come inside and try to figure out but honestly what's going to I want to know what they're going to stroll out, the, out there in their base who's playing the three tech is it going to be um, a guy like maybe Herring, who's a big defensive end but can slide inside. Is it going to be Dana? Is it going to be Tershawn Wharton? Are we going to see the new guy, Farrell, in there? I, I don't know. Will Farrell in there? I don't really know what they're going to do. So it's a lot. There's a lot of pressure on them just initially to figure something out that works. And not necessarily to be a successful, great defense on opening week. That's not really what I think anybody's looking for. It would be awesome if they were just able to come in, not miss a beat. But Chris Jones is, is, and Omenicu, honestly, are a really big hurdle to step in your first experience doing that this season. So I think that the pressure right now is just to find a way to get by. That, that's really all this comes down to. Find a, a rotation that fit, that fixes and fits, finishes what – that's not the word I'm looking for – that fits what you're looking to do on the defensive side. But he's got a great help in Joe Cullen who continued to grow this defensive line last year. And I think that you might even see George Kalapas come inside like he did multiple times last season and rush against some guards, maybe head up on the center every now and then just to kind of throw with the, an offensive line that's as talented as the Detroit Lions offensive line is, throw them off the game a little bit just to try to find something to get a one-on-one, you know, bring Nick Bolton down with, you know, with, uh, any type of defensive end in there just to try to find a way to get a one-on-one for whoever ends up being their most talented pass rusher. And right now it might be FAU. Uh, Mike Dana, I think he's going to play a huge role in this game. Uh, but the pressure, I think, is alleviated a little bit because you have such a trusted, knowledgeable guy in Bill Cohen on the, on, on the coaching staff as well. Yeah. Daniel Harms, film analyst at RGR Football, joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Looking at the secondary now, uh, again, I mentioned Legereus Sneed. He, he should be back week one. That's mm-hmm. kind of the thought process. But again, 
How much work is he going to take on? How many snaps will he receive? That remains to be seen. We also know the Chiefs love rolling out these three safety looks. Justin Reed, Brian Cook. Uh, they also have Mike Edwards and Chamari Connor. We saw in the preseason, Chamari Connor was getting a lot of run with these starting ones when they did these three safety looks. Is that the way it continues in the regular season? What do you take away and look at in this secondary? Just to have a lot of pieces, which is a great—it's a great situation to be in, especially when you have an injury to Legarius Sneed. You don't know how much he's going to be used. Honestly, they might not even play him to start. Maybe he's a let's see how it goes situation, and just kind of get Watson and McDuffie and Williams incorporated and see what what's going on. If they can get by, maybe without using him a ton, I think that might be the area that they go just to rest him and see how the season plays out again. This is a Thursday night game, so you have extended time off from now until week two. So maybe they use that as a, as a way to get Snead even more rest. Um, we'll see how they, that ends up going if the Lions come out and they're throwing the ball all over, all over the place with. I'm on Ross St. Brown as a slot receiver. We know that Legereus plays a lot in the slot, and, and if he's doing a great job there, that, that being I'm on Ross St. Brown. Or even uh, their new rookie tight end, Sam Laporta, who's probably going to play in the slot as well. It's going to be a little bit of a mismatch at times, I think. So just kind of feel that process out. But as it goes along, you're going to probably see Jamar Connor and Mike Edwards on the field a lot in in different packages. And that's another place that they can really throw curveballs at an offense, whether it's maybe even they bring all four of them out at times. I don't know what's going to happen. That's, that's what's so beautiful about this secondary group is that all almost all of them can play and can probably play at a pretty high level. And that gives you a lot of different options with your looks. We know that Tremaine Connors is a good blitzer. We know Trent McDuffie is a good blitzer. We know Legereus Sneed is a good blitzer. We know that they've been able to blitz anybody on this in the secondary from anywhere on the field at times. So that's another little wrinkle that the offense for the Detroit Lions has to think about is where are these secondary members lining up? Are they, are they coming inside a little bit? Are they from the spot? Because we know and we've seen Legereus kind of, line up, head up on a slot receiver, and then just blitz immediately. Like, he doesn't give a, give it away very much. And when you're able to do that with multiple different defensive backs, it really makes the job difficult on an offensive line and a quarterback to find that that guy that's going to be coming free and check it to possibly get that running back over there or a tight end, a chip, or whatever it's going to be. So it's it's interesting that, you know, Legereus could end up being a guy who maybe doesn't play a ton in this game. Or if he comes out and they start him and he looks great, Maybe it's more of a little gamesmanship on the uh, on the uh, Chiefs' part to say, well, he's, we'll see how much he plays, but in, in reality, he's ready to go. So I think at the end of the day, the fact that they have so many different pieces allows them to be very creative and do what Staggs wants to do, which is play a bunch of different guys, throw a bunch of different looks at a quarterback who in the past has been – let's just say not the most knowledgeable in seeing defensive rotational shift. And that was one of the reasons he was traded out of the Rams for Matthew Stafford. So it's a, it's a very fun concept to think about what Spags can do with such a versatile uh, defensive back room. While I agree with, with the Jared Goff thought process there, the Lions did rank top five in a lot of offensive categories last year in points per game, yards per game, as well as offensive DVOA if you're trying to get a little bit more analytical here. The Lions offense was legitimately good last year, but you touched on it early on. That, that defense for Detroit was horrendous. I mean, it was was you know 2018 Chiefs that's what you were looking at with that Detroit Lions defense they just didn't have the offense that Kansas City had but 
you mentioned they got a better defense. The offense, they didn't really lose many pieces. What do you expect this game to look like? Is it going to look like the, the, the Rams-Chiefs game back on Monday Night Football? Uh, I know the banner's being raised, but you saw what the Chiefs did to the Patriots that one year when the Patriots tried raising that banner and Kareem Hunt said, uh, hold my beer, I'll fumble once, then come back and bounce back, and the Chiefs got the win. Uh, what are you expecting as far as feel-wise, offensive flow, defensive flow against Detroit on Thursday? So initially, I'm, I'm looking for the offense to get on schedule. And early in the preseason, the first team offense came out and they didn't move the ball as well as they expected to multiple on multiple occasions. And they until they hit that play against the Cardinals, then that's when you really saw them actually start to get get moving. So I think early they're going to want to get into a rhythm, whether that's you know running the ball with Isaiah Pacheco, you know, um, one of the Lions' leaders in run. Matt's play last year, Isaiah Bugs, is not going to be active for this game, which we, I just found out like an hour ago, um, which is an interesting thought process if you think, yeah, they're going to throw the ball all over the place. But they, they were one of the most efficient running games in the NFL last year. I think Andy Reid will take that into consideration a little bit early on and get some play action going. You've got inexperienced and not great linebackers. I, I know that there's a lot of potential there. Again, you have a lot of young players. With, with Branch, their new linebackers, but Alex and Aloney's going to play a lot. You can get their linebackers moving a lot, coming inside after a run game that's been really, really effective in the past. I think that that's something they might attack early as well. Hit Travis Kelsey, Sky Moore, these guys with benders over the middle of the field. That's something I'm looking for from the offense, just to get on schedule to create some big plays and, and to get to a rhythm. Because once they do, I don't think there's going to be anything slowing them down. Then on the defensive side, this is for the Lions offense. What they're going to want to do, because you know Jameson Williams is not there. He's, he's suspended for the first six games of the season, so that that deep speed threat is not there currently. Horizontal stretching of the defense is going to be probably where it comes, and they have a ton of different de- um, run uh, variations, run schemes that they run. They run just about every everything. Like they were a, one of the only teams, I believe, that had a twenty percent in almost every single rushing category of different schemes that they ran last year, power, gap, and um, you know zone. So they, they do a very good job of diversifying their run game. That makes a linebacker's job extremely difficult, especially when they're so good. With the play-action game, they ran, I believe, pistol. as one of the top five de- uh, pistol-running offenses in the NFL. That was to also mitigate team defenses, shifting on Jared Goff, who was not turning his back to the – you know, to the defense on these play actions. So that's something to look for as well. So the defense is going to need to be on their keys. they got to find ways to keep the linebackers clean because while they weren't the most effective running game in terms of efficiency last year, they have upgraded at both running back positions with uh, David Montgomery, an upgrade over Jamal Williams as a runner, in my opinion, and then Jameer Gibbs as an upgrade over uh, DeAndre Swift. So they have a one-two puncher running back that's electric and it's going to be a much better between the tackles, in my opinion. So they have to really keep on their keys. Nick Bolton is going to be a huge factor in this game, coming downhill, stopping the run, and also keeping his eyes where the ball is and not getting too deep, far upfield to get benders over the middle of the field, like I was talking about with the Chiefs. Are they going to do it to the Lions defense? You have to do the same thing here. Amon Ross St. Brown makes a living catching first down in that 10 to 15 to 20 yard area. He's exceptional at getting open. So, this is going to come down to, for at least on the defensive side, is can the defense figure out what rotation up front seems to work best to keep those linebackers clean in run situations and passing situations and be able to get after the quarterback? And can those linebackers stay uh, keep in their, their keys 
And can the corners, who are probably going to have more time to cover this game, can they hold up to that? Um, I'm very excited to watch it all play out. Daniel Horms, film analyst, RGR Football, joining us right here. When it comes to the tight ends, uh, you're a big fan of 12 personnel. You're a big fan of 13 personnel. Absolutely. Uh, the Chiefs have Kelsey, Noah Gray, and Blake Bell. They kept those three tight ends with Jody Fortson being placed on the IR. And Matt Bushman and Kendall Blanton, I guess, to an extent, not making it the 53. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the guys behind Travis Kelsey with Noah Gray and Blake Bell and what the offense looks like in 12 and 13 personnel? How much will this be run? Yeah, I think we're still going to see probably a, a good amount thrown in, more than you, you would see normal teams because that's what the Chiefs are really good at in terms of getting after it. They, I, I, when I was on with you a, a few weeks ago, I talked about they were the most – on plays where they ran 13 personnel, they saw the fewest amount of stacked boxes in the entire NFL. I think it was like 36% of the time that they were in 13 personnel, it was stacked boxes. And you see an 80-ish percent of most other teams when they play 13 personnel because the run's coming at you, but teams don't want – to be burnt, be burned by Patrick Mahomes, even with Noah Gray, Blake Bell on the field behind Travis Kelsey, it's not going to matter a ton. I think you're still going to see the defense, whoever they play, when they come out in 13 and 12 personnel, give you light boxes. And I mentioned Bugs not being there for the Lions. I think that they, the Chiefs might end up running the ball a little bit more earlier in this game to allow for those big plays on 13 personnel to happen. So I think, I mean you're probably going to see a handful of 13 personnel snaps. I don't think you're going to see any more than five or six in for the, for this game. But if it proves effective, mm. maybe you see more. Like they come out early and they run a couple 13 personnel plays. They get seven, eight, nine, ten 10 yards on whatever it is. And the lines don't really adjust to it or they force the defense to have to adjust to that. Maybe they run it a little bit more. It's going to be a little cat and mouse early. I think just to try to figure out what works best. But at the end of the day, Noah Gray and Blake Bell, are serviceable average tight ends. I mean, if I think Noah Gray has been having a great camp, I want to see him involved in the passing game this game. I, I want him to be a, a guy that burns some of these linebackers or slot, or slot corners that they play against him because from what we've heard from Dan Campbell, the idea might be to just double Travis Kelsey and force everybody else to beat you. If they come out in 12-13 personnel, can Noah Gray – prove to be someone you have to pay attention to and can these other these, these other receivers do it too so in that 13 personnel set look for the chiefs to run play action to still get those dagger plays when you have more tight ends on the field because they did it at an exceptional rate last year and they were the best in the NFL at doing it looking at the wide receivers Kadarius Tony again as we mentioned should be there he's still listed as questionable but he should be there yeah. how many wide receivers are active on game day because you know they go from the 53 to the 46 the Chiefs don't have that third quarterback uh, at least right now so they don't have to carry that extra guy again it's a, basically a bonus at this point but that's why they kept mm-hmm. only two quarterbacks because that third still counts against the 53 not against the game day but they're probably not going to keep seven wide receivers active on game day. That seems a little bit like overkill. Even six still feels like a lot on game day. Who's getting left off? How many do they keep? How do you see the wide receiver pecking order breaking down? Man, I would love to see them just keep seven receivers on game day. (laughs) Just say, hey, we're going to have ten receivers that we can just throw at you whenever we feel like it. And honestly... 
Is that the worst strategy in the world? I don't think so. But the problem comes everywhere else. Where do you have to go light? I mean, you can probably leave off a linebacker, maybe a, a corner. It starts to get thin very quickly. An offensive lineman here. <laughs> um, you're running out of places that you can really go short at on game day and wide receiver. As deep and talented as they are, they don't need seven. I would just like to see seven on game day roster because there's so many different things and so many different packages that they've specifically talked about where, you know, they've said Rasheed Rice and Justin Ross will have packages for them. I'm just, we know that Richie James is the kick and punt returner. If you have packages for these players, it, who's, who's, who's not going to be active? I don't, I don't know. Um, I would imagine the first, the first game you may, you may see Justin Ross inactive. So you have six receivers, maybe even Rasheed Rice to an extent. Um, but you have to go short somewhere to keep all these weapons. I don't know where it's going to be at, but I, I, I would think Ross in his very first game is an, is an inactive player, even though they've said that he will play special teams. There's been a lot of, especially with, when you have Gunners now with both Jalen Watson and Josh Williams, there aren't a lot of places where Justin Ross can come in and play special teams enough that it would garner him being on the roster opening day. So if I had to guess, it would be him getting short at short change the first game. While I understand where you're coming from, and I completely understand the reasoning, other part of me wants to be slightly irrational by saying if Justin Ross is there, if he's on the active game day roster, he makes a catch, that place is going to be going wild. Just the comeback story of a man who had the spinal injury, the foot injury, who was a top prospect freshman, sophomore year at Clemson, had to fight back out all of last year, gets a chance in the preseason, and now he's going to be on the 53. You put him on the game day, he makes a catch, touchdown or not, I don't care what it is. That place <laughs> will be going wild. Off, it will be electric. So for that reason alone, I'm sitting here saying, I don't care. Banners <laughs> getting raised. Give me a Justin Ross catch. Give me seven. I said, I don't care. Either. I'm with you. Like my heart is with you. Give me seven receivers on the game pay roster. I don't care how you find a way to do it. <laughs> Just get it done. I would love that many. Or better yet, NFL, give us like a 50 man roster on game days. Come on, let it happen. It's so. Sick. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think it's silly they don't. I, the, I agree. I it's think it's ridiculous. silly. It, it, it's the most physical sport in the world, and we're just sitting here saying, yeah, you know, if you get hurt, you get hurt. Sorry, you're down a guy. <laughs> it's like you can have 53 on the active. Keep the 53 on game. I, I think it's silly. I've, I've, I will stand I by that take for the end of time. It's absolutely silly. Why have a 53-man roster if you can't carry 53 men into the game? Uh, I don't know. It's absurd. Uh, before I let you go, Daniel, again, Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football, joining us right here. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at nharmsway19. He'll have some incredible breakdowns, not just on his Twitter account, but also on the RGR page. Um, Daniel, I, I, I trust a ton with, especially in regards to the offensive line. That's why we started there. That's why we played Creed, baby. Got to show Creed Humphrey some love. Got to show the big guys <laughs> up front some love. So make sure you follow Daniel Harms. Before I let you go, I did a fun little game with Matt Derrick. I'm going to play a fun little game with you. Switch the questions up just a little bit. How many carries does Clyde Edwards-Alaire get on Thursday night? I'm going to go eight. Eight carries. Mm. How many does Isaiah Pacheco get on opening night? Sixteen. Wow. So you're expecting a lot of running from the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Who is the leading receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs when the season is over? My 
over? Yeah, the whole season. Whole season. The whole season. So I, I have this split up into two categories, receptions and yards. I, I still believe in my heart of hearts that MVS is going to lead them in yards. But I think Sky Moore is going to have the, the lead in receptions. Okay. Uh, is this Noah Gray's breakout year? You have to think, yes. I, I, I believe it. Again, I think that he needs to be a guy that you can count on in those 12 personnel sets, especially because, what, teams are going to keep doubling Travis Kelsey, I think. you kind got to have to at a certain point. So, yeah, I think this is going to be the breakout year for him. Donovan Smith, when the season is over, is ranked as a top blank left tackle. 15. Jawan Taylor, when the season is over, is ranked as a top blank right tackle. Eight. Okay. Uh, who leads the Chiefs in sacks at the end of the year? Oh, at the end of the year. George Karloftis. <laughs> That's a safe one. That's what I went to. That's what Matt Derrick went with as well. It's like, when does Chris Jones come back? Charles is missing yeah, right. six game. Uh, like, who, who else do you go with? Is it, is it Mike Dana? Is it FAU? I, I think Karloftis is the I, smart choice here. It, I think it's the smart choice. My I'm, my my heart's telling me to go after you. I think he might do it. Mm. All right. In regards to the secondary, who plays more snaps, Jalen Watson or Joshua Williams? Josh Williams. Harrison Bucker, is he back? Is he back to what he once was, not last year, but the year before? Absolutely. He, he's, he's fully healthy. He's not going to have any trust issues with his plant foot. Yeah, I think he's back. Patrick Mahomes ends the season with how many yards? 5,400 yards. Wow. Daniel, aggressive. I love to see it. I love the optimism. <laughs> I mean, if he gets kind fit- of figure what? The first couple of games of the defense, I mean, might have a little regression from last year. I mean, throw the ball all over, man. D- don't get me wrong. I- I'm a fan of this Chiefs wide receiver room. But if Mahomes throws for 5,400 yards with MVS as the realistically most uh, accomplished wide receiver, I mean, come on now. This is going to be insane. They will have literally nothing to say. He lost Tyreek. The offense got better. You lose Juju. You have MVS as basically right now, for all accounts, with Kadarius Tony and his injury, as wide receiver one. Aaron yeah. Rodgers couldn't do it. Aaron Rodgers couldn't do it. He demanded more and more and more. Patrick Mahomes says, give me the challenge. I will make it work. So if Mahomes gets 5,400 with this wide receiver room, with the um, lack of accomplishments so far, I'm not saying they're not going to be good. I'm just saying the lack no, of no, current no, no, accomplishments, this is going to be damn impressive. That's all it is, man. This is. It feels like every time that a, a challenge gets laid down, Patrick's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready for it. And I think that this is an, yet another one where we still see people – trying to tear down what he's done. Oh, we have to see it without Travis Kelsey. Oh, well, we have to see it without Andy Reid. Why? Why? Mm. I, 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 don't, I don't understand this, this conversation that has to, be, that has to have, happen. Juju Smith-Schuster was at nearly 1,000 yards last year. MVS, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Justin Watson were his one, two, and three receivers last year. They won a Super Bowl. Can we stop it? Can we stop? Please. <laughs> Daniel Harms, make sure you follow him on Twitter at InHarmsWay19. Film analyst for RGR Football. Harms, always a good time. Always, man. Thanks for the kind words. Appreciate it. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. 
Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Again, Sterling Holmes with you. Filling in for Petro and Curtis while Kyle is filling in for Adam Dravetta. Fun show. Always love having Daniel Harms on. will be joined by Matt Verderam. Four o'clock. We'll be talking to him. Just NFL in general. Talking Chiefs. Talking Chris Jones. A little bit of everything with Verderam. But I do want to play some Chiefs audio for you guys right now. We're going to start with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey on hanging the banner from the Super Bowl win last year. As sick as it sounds, I'm over last year, man. I'm ready to keep things moving forward. Um, you know, I think it'll be cool for the fans, for the um, for the Hunt family to be able to put another banner up, um, and that'll be a moment for them. But for me right now, um, I'm focused on beating the Detroit Lions, I'm not really focused on any of the other stuff that goes on uh, for the first game of the year. Is that something that you learned from last time? <clears throat> I think there was like 20% of the stadium filled last time, so I don't even know if we did that last I just time. Mean the, the mentality of moving on from last year. I think it's every year I just kind of put the pass in the pass and just keep it moving. I got more goals, more objectives, uh, new team, and the, uh, the sense of urgency to keep winning, baby. Trev, what do you remember about your mentality when you guys were facing the Patriots and they were you were going into New England and, and just the motivation and maybe was behind? I just remember the game, um, you know, granted, I think they had like six Super Bowl, like actual like Super Bowl, like, I don't know, in like on a tube, like it was crazy. (laughs) I remember thinking in my head, I was like, this is a lot for the first game. Excuse my language. I'm thinking I'm on my podcast right now. Um, Yeah. So I was like, man, this is a lot just to. You know, remember last year knowing that it's a whole new season. So, I don't know. I just, that's really all I remember from it. How great is Travis Kelsey? Listen to that dude talk all the time. And by the way, I am so glad I was able to get you the one with the bleep. I bleeped that out down there in the other studio before the show. And part of me goes, I really hope I pulled up the one that's clean where I bleeped that thing out. I was I was a little nervous. I was white knuckling it during this entire thing. I go, when you bring to the Patriots, I might have to scream in my mic. And my my mic's probably turned off. We got it though. We got it though. But yeah, Travis Kelsey looking forward to next year. He doesn't care about the fact they just won the Super Bowl. He's over it. He's fact. over it. Especially at his age. I mean, think about that. Would you blame anyone for basking? In the glory just a little bit. I don't blame players for doing that. And I get it sounds better when you know we're moving on. But I would have no qualms because, yeah, man, it's going to be a great night. You know, I'm looking forward to it, getting crowns in the banner. He's like, hey, that's fine and dandy. It's going to be great for the hunts, great for uh, the organization, and great for the fans. But I'm on to next year. Yeah. I, no, I wouldn't blame him because their first one, he didn't really get to bask in it. You didn't. You had, as he mentioned, what, 20% of the stadium full? It was so different. If you were a Chiefs fan, or a Chiefs player, I should say, if you're a Chiefs player, you think you'd be thrilled, and Kelly's like, you know what, it's fine. we got more goals. we got a new team. More things that he and this team want to accomplish. It's hard not to love the demeanor of Travis Kelsey, the fire that he brings to the game, the emotion that, again, sometimes comes out, even in these media interviews. I mean, I get it. You shouldn't cuss on these things. But that wasn't because he was trying to sound cool. 
That was a natural reaction to what the Patriots did and the mindset that he had. I love the raw emotion of Travis Kelsey. But in the same instance that the Chiefs felt like that when they went to New England on the NFL opener a few years ago, the Detroit Lions are going to have the exact same feeling coming to Arrowhead on Thursday. And that's what I keep saying is, I'm not nervous necessarily about this game as a, from a fan's perspective. But the Chiefs can't start off slow. We saw the Chiefs start off slow a good amount last year. We've seen them start slow in playoff games, not scoring in the first half. We saw it against the Houston Texans. We've seen it in the preseason this year. A lot of moving parts. While I don't think the Detroit Lions are a great team, they're a good team with a good offense. The Chiefs haven't played without Chris Jones in a while. I mean, he was a vital part of that defense. I'm intrigued to see what the defense looks like. And offensively, my point is, again, you can't start slow. I know there's new moving pieces. I know there's new tackles. I understand the wide receivers. I get all it. Andy Reid and Mahomes need to be on the same page early on, make plays, move the rock, get up early. But I love the mentality that Travis Kelsey has. This is not a team resting on their laurels. They want more. What's interesting to me is it seems like this team is almost more focused for a third than they were for for winning the second. Because they understand the value of that third championship. Of what it means, legacy and historical importance. This Chiefs team understands that two's great. But when you get to three, a lot of times that starts the recognition of a dynasty. You've heard Mahomes talk about you need three. They know what's at stake. They're dialed. I I think it's pretty interesting the fact that they have this much value on winning this third. I get it. Everyone wants to win every single year. You had the run it back campaign. You had the what two two and three, whatever whatever you want to call it. But but now they got that second. They understand the importance of that third. Uh, here's Travis Kelsey on his health, because I think it's a little interesting. He's going into how many years now in the NFL, one of his best years in the NFL. Here's Travis Kelsey on his health. All right, guys, fire away. Travis, you know, over a decade, and now you're starting another year. How's your body holding up? How are you feeling you're going to be able to just roll through a season? It's week one. Body's feeling as good as it'll feel all year. (laughs) (laughs) How have you been able to just keep your, you know, maintain your body and everything going into this for the longevity, knowing that you're facing Um, I think uh, one thing, uh, you know, we practice hard, but I think Coach Reed does a great job of, you know, taking care of us throughout the year. Um, I've been very fortunate that we have the best training staff in the in the league, so uh, getting in that trainer room, doing some, doing a lot of rehab, and just making sure the body's tuned up. I've uh, been very fortunate for that. Um, my guy Alex Caso, that is, is my personal personal trainer. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you just got to be a professional, and you just got to be very fortunate. I, actually, you know, there's a lot of fortune that goes into this game and staying healthy and being out there every week. How impressive is that? Over a decade in the NFL, the consistent production he has put up. The consistent availability he has had, knock on wood. Sorry to every single dog who's listening right now. If you're listening and your dog started barking, I'm sorry. I I do feel bad because, you know those commercials where a dog will be barking in the commercial? TV, radio, 
or they have like a mailman and he's knocking on the door or he rings the doorbell. I get the frustration. I, I, I understand I'm part of the problem right now, but I had to knock on wood. It's for Travis Kelsey. Come on. Knocking for Trav. But the consistent production and availability for Travis Kelsey has been the... I don't know what's been more impressive, I should say. Production, yeah. But for a guy as talented and as crazy as his usage rate is, him being available that much is crazy to me. Look at Rob Gronkowski. Same age as Travis Kelsey. He's been out of the NFL for a little bit now. What about George Kittle? San Fran fans are talking year after year about how good George Kittle is. That's great. And how many games? Eight games a year? At some point, the availability of Travis Kelsey needs to be talked about more. The fact that he keeps his body in that great of shape, it's incredible. How many tight ends at that age do you currently see around the NFL? Putting up those kind of numbers. I'm not saying Jason Witten or Greg Olson or Jimmy Graham or Mercedes Lewis. I'm talking about dudes who are putting up over a K in the focal point of an offense at that age. Travis Kelsey is a unicorn. Take a quick break. Come back. More Chiefs Audio. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Again, Matt Verderam will join us in just a few minutes at 4 o'clock. Going to talk a lot of NFL with him, some Chris Jones with him, and of course, some Kansas City Chiefs with him. Uh, don't forget, we'll be joined by Max Reaper of Royals Review at 5 o'clock, talking some Royals, uh, who came away with a huge win today. Yeah, they're not good, but they put a beat down. A beat down, I'm telling you, on them today. So... Cole Reagan's pitched, so when Cole Reagan's pitches, I'll talk some Royals. Uh, Cameron Black joins at 5.30. And I will also point out I have an Emmett Smith interview that I recorded a couple days ago. Pretty proud of it. I, uh, the quality, I'm not going not gonna to lie to you guys. I recorded it on my laptop because I was in Louisville, didn't have anything, but it's a last-minute request. But when you get asked to interview Emmett Smith, you think you're going to turn that down? No, you're not turning that down. So I interviewed him. Uh, pretty proud of it. We talked a lot about the current state of the running back market, uh, just offenses in general. Uh, pretty excited for you guys to listen to that. So Emmett Smith interview, we'll, we'll play that around 4.30 after Matt Verderam. Before then, though, I want to play this audio clip from Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is talking about Patrick Mahomes. He's the ultimate leader. I mean, every single day. And, and, and the more you're around him, you realize it's not just in football, it's in life. Every single, you know... Everything he does, he wants to be the best, um, you know, and uh, even if it's, you know, we did some State Farm stuff, you know, he's trying to, you know, just be prompt on you know, on time, good comedic timing, good, you know what I mean, just being the best version of him and everything he does, and that's just who he is. And when you get him in a comfort zone like, like what he is in this building, um, it just oozes out of him. And it's it, what it is in terms of leadership is, um, you know, those are the things you really can't pay for. You know, you just you got to get a guy that has it in his heart to be able to do it every single day. And when you think of that, I mean, do you feel like part of that is he has a conscious notion to be the best there ever was? Is there anything like that in, in your mind about him? Um, 
I mean, I'm sure everybody sets those kind of goals for themselves. I came into the league thinking that I, I wanted to be the best to ever touch the turf. I mean, I'm sure he has that kind of motivation, but it's, uh, it's not a selfish drive to be that. You know, it's a very unselfish um, get everybody involved, bring everybody along with them, and let's have some fun while we do it. The ultimate leader, the best player in the NFL, and overall just good dude. He cares about the community. He wants to be here. He's the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback. Imagine saying that 10 years ago. Patrick Mahomes, as Kelsey alludes to, wants to be the best at everything he does. Football, commercials, doesn't matter. That competitive drive a lot of times can separate the good from the great, the great from Hall of Famers, and the Hall of Famers from Legends. Mahomes has that. Mahomes has that special ability where that drive is second to none. Some guys love playing football. Some guys are just good at football and they understand that they can make a lot of money doing it. Players want to be great. Some want to be historic. Some want to be the best who's ever done it. Mahomes has the talent and the drive. It's a lethal combination. I love just everything Travis Kelsey said when talking about Patrick. The respect and the friendship you can tell just oozes through in that minute and a half clip. We are very lucky to have Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and this era of football happening right now in Chiefs Kingdom. It's electric. A banner will be raised on Thursday. How many times growing up for me did the Chiefs have a good team but got beaten by a better quarterback? Peyton Manning, right? That Tom Brady, didn't matter. The better quarterback typically came away with a victory. The Chiefs not only have a great team, a great head coach, they now have the quarterback. And it's not a quarterback who's trying to get the most dollar out of this organization. Not a quarterback that's demanding. But a quarterback that wants to be here. And he wants to win. This is what you love to see. We'll take a quick break. Come back. We'll be joined by Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated. Sports Radio 810 WHB.